Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. All right, Micah chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear off the skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones and chop them up as for the pot and as meat in a kettle. And they cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore, it will be night for you without vision and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. On the other hand, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountains of the temple will become high places of a forest. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we study your word, as we look into your word, that you would bless, that you would help us to understand, that you would illumine this passage by your spirit. And Father, we pray that we would come away from your word with applications, that we would remember this word, that it would strike us and, uh, and help us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Okay, so, Micah chapter 3. This is Micah the prophet announcing judgment. He announces judgment on the rulers, the heads of Jacob. He announces judgment on the prophets, and he announces judgment on the priests. Well, he announces judgment on the false prophets and uh, those priests that were hirelings, not doing the work of the Lord, and those rulers who had forsaken God's law and were oppressing the people. Okay? And so, remember, just a little bit of review, Micah is warning Judah, the southern kingdom, while they're watching the northern kingdom be dragged off into exile. And, and Micah prophesied during the same time as, as Isaiah. 
The, the elites, the rulers of the people were setting aside God's laws for self-interest. Right? Setting aside God's law for self-interest. Setting aside justice and righteousness and goodness and the law so that they could fill up their pockets with money, basically. They are profiteering, they are practicing injustice and idolatry. So chapter 1, we saw God's warning to those capital cities. Chapter 2, remember, he speaks of evil schemers, uh, that his own people arise as his enemy. And now we're in chapter 3, and he's focusing on, um, he's denouncing these rulers. He's coming at them with a very hard prophecy from, from God. The heads of Jacob, notice in chapter 3, are told to listen up. Hear now. Hear now. Listen to what I have to say. This is serious. And, and he immediately begins speaking of justice. With responsibility, when, you, when leaders come into leadership, it comes with responsibility. When, when men get married, they take on responsibility. When men ha and women have children, they take on a huge responsibility of raising their children. And so with, with, um, with responsibility then comes God's scrutiny. Right? God, God watches us to see how we're faithful with the, the responsibilities he gives to us. And these rulers have a responsibility to be what? To practice justice to be a blessing to their people, right? To, to, to rule them by the, the laws of God, which are good and helpful. And so God is, God is, so when God gives you responsibility, know that God is also watching you to see how, how well you do with that responsibility he's given to you. I mean, it's so many times when we want responsibility, right? We want we want to be the teacher. We want to be the husband. We want to be the father. We want to be the professor. We want to be the, the mayor. We want to be all these things, but we don't realize that with responsibility comes God's scrutiny. With that responsibility comes God watching you use the gift he's given you in that responsibility. Um, teachers have a responsibility, right? Scripture says, let, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. You see, God's scrutiny comes to teachers. When they're given the responsibility of teaching, then they get a stricter judgment from God. Rulers, Yahweh has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, Isaiah 14.5 says. Yahweh, God knows, God sees God is the one who has given them their power, right? Romans 13, and he expects that they would wield it in the right way. What does the prophet Micah say one of the sins of the rulers of Judah is? They do not know justice, right? They hate good and love evil. Those are two different things, hating good and loving evil. Um, I would say that that's probably the height of all wickedness is when you do that. That's, there's no greater wickedness than hating good and loving evil. 
Right? It's not stumbling into sin. That is actually promoting it and promoting injustice and promoting, it's hating God. It's hating what God says is good. So that's the height of, of arrogance. And then we get this description in 3 and 4. Because they don't know justice, because they hate good, because they love evil, what happens to the people? The people are just chopped up. The people are chopped up, and there's this, he's using this image here, who eat the flesh, they um, tear, you who hate good and evil, who tear off the skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones, chop them up as for the pot, as meat in a kettle. That's the fruit of their injustice, their loving what is evil and hating what is good. They're just destroying the people, chopping them up. Um, evil rulers are an affliction to, people, to the people, right? Evil rulers are an affliction to the people. Evil rulers are often, though, a reflection of the people's own wickedness. Right? God raises up rulers that reflect the people and by that means, God judges those people, right? So he gives a wicked people wicked rulers, and then they become the means of God judging them. Um, how rulers live influences, though, uh, working the opposite way. So sometimes God raises up rulers that are in accord with the wickedness of the people. Um, other times... Rulers, how rulers live influence the, the people. How rulers live influence the people for good or for evil. They are to be an example, right? Responsibility, you are to be an example to others when you have responsibility. And so uh, the sins of, of teachers, the sins of rulers, the sins of magistrates, the sins of, of bosses uh, influence those underneath them, okay? So that's what he says to the rulers. They have practiced evil deeds. And then in verse 4, we see what the result of this is going to be. And this should be sobering to us. I mean, really think about this. Here are these wicked rulers, they're denounced, they're not practicing righteousness, they're going after their own means. They're rich though, right? They've made a lot of money by being rulers. They've profiteered and they afflict the people, but then trouble comes along. Let's say Babylon rises up, right? And comes to, or Assyria comes along, right, to... And, and they're strong. And, that, and those rulers begin to cry out to God. They begin to cry out to God and say, God, help! Help! Save us! And what happens? God doesn't hear them. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but He will not answer them. Instead, He will hide His face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. God will hide and not hear their prayers. That should be, this should be terrifying to us, 
I mean, this really should be terrifying to us. If we, if we prayed, right, if we believed that God was powerful, if we believed that without his help, there, we're undone, there's nothing we can do, the fact that we could cry out to him and he would be like, can't hear you, not listening, I'm turning away from you, that should terrify us, right? That should ter- that's what our sin does, though. When we go after our sin headlong without repentance, God turns away from his children. God turns away from them and leaves them for a season to their sins, to discipline them. And that is a terrifying place to be in. It is it, a praying people, a, a people dependent upon God would care about their prayers not being heard. That their sin, they would care about the fact that their sin causes God to turn away from their prayers. Right? But, but we're not a praying people. We much prefer, as I said this morning, blogging and activism and tweeting and arguing and complaining and street evangelism and all these other things. We just don't think that prayer is important. And so we prefer all these things. Um, praying to us is inactivity. It is ineffective. But if we were a praying people, our sin and its sabotage would deeply bother us. If we were a praying people and then we were caught up in our sin or some habitual sin and we knew that that meant God, God, was, going to, God was going to turn away from us and not hear our prayers, we would be weeping at that. We would be, we would be scared to death to think that we don't have God now as our help. And so this, this really should terrify us. And, and you say, well, this is the Old Testament, and this is the nation Israel, and this is God turning away. Do we have any example of this from the apostles? Of course we do, right? 1 Peter 3, 7. Treat your, you know, live with your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers will not be hindered. Our prayers can be hindered when we sin. And so that, to not have God hearing our prayers and giving us that peace that comes with prayer, that peace that surpasses understanding, should really be a terrifying thought to you. If you know the power of prayer, if you know God's almighty power, and if you know what it means to be, uh, if you have even an inkling of what it means to be forsaken by God, then this thought should fill you with fear. Next from there, he turns to the prophets. So we go from the rulers, the civil magistrates, to the prophets. And the false prophets were promising what? What do false prophets always promise? Peace. Peace. Everything's fine. Peace. But they know, but, what, but what's the reality? We know the reality is God's wrath is waiting to break out upon this people. God's wrath is just waiting to break out on this people. And they're just, and the false prophets are peace, peace. All is well. You know, we could, this is, this was, Jeremiah's 
uh, problem with the false prophets as well. Here's what Jeremiah says in chapter 8. We read this. How can you say, we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? This is the false prophets. We're wise, we're good, the law of the Lord is with us. But behold, the lying pens of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men are put to shame, they are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others, their fields to new owners. Because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone practices deceit. They heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They certainly were not ashamed, and they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall, and at that time of their punishment, they shall be brought down, says the Lord. And you know that Jeremiah is seeing the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. Micah prophesied that Jerusalem is going to be wasted. Well, Jeremiah gets to live through that time period, the fulfillment of Micah's prophecies. And so Jeremiah is seeing it, and Jeremiah is is undone. He He is destroyed in his heart that this is happening. False prophets promise peace to those who notice in verse 4. Wait, I'm in the wrong book. Um, Notice in 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people, when they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. (laughs) In other words, when they have food, when they're provided for, when you give them something to eat, They'll give you the right prophet. They'll give you peace. They'll announce that everything's good. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. And so if you're not feeding the prophets, if you're not supplying their needs, then, then, um, then they'll denounce you. Right? So it seems that they're working for what? They're working for money. If they get the right price, they'll announce peace. But if they don't get the right price, they'll take you to the woodshed. And so it it becomes all about money. Funny thing that is, right? I mean, we wouldn't have experience with with modern-day prophets just doing ministry for money, would we? I mean, this is hard to relate to. I mean, how many rich Christian apologists are there? How many rich Christian pastors are there who are happy to prophesy good things, who are happy to say easy things, who are happy to, happy just to massage you just so that they can build up their retirement and ditch the church at some point and go live in Malibu? It's the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Does anybody know what the word avarice means? It's a word that we, we don't have that's been lost in our culture. Right? What is avarice? Anybody know? It's greediness, but 
It's the root of greediness, which is what? The root of greediness is not money. The root of greediness is the love of money, right? And avarice is to love money. It is covetousness and greediness, and it's, it's loving it and going after it. We, we don't even use that word anymore just because, I don't know, maybe it's the sea we swim in. So there's no reason to describe the air you breathe. Right? It's always with you. Avarice, the love of money. And of course, the, pro- the, the, the prophet Paul tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what this whole chapter is about. Loving money leads to all kinds of evil. It's corrupted the rulers, it's corrupted the, pre- the prophets, and it's going to corrupt the priests. Right? All of these people have been corrupted by the love of money. So these prophets cry, peace, peace, but against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore, it will be night for you without vision. Prophets won't be able to see. God will cut off truth and righteousness and vision from them. It will be night for you without vision, darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. Now what's sad about that? What's sad about the fact that now the prophets are going to have no wisdom from God? The people of God need prophets. The people of God need prophets. The people of God need those who will speak truth to them. Right? We need people who will speak truth and not just speak truth when they're being provided for or massaged the right way by the congregation. Right? We need, there, there is no more office of prophet, but we need prophetic witness in the church today. Right? And it's the people who suffer when God cuts off giving giving truth to his prophets. It's the people who suffer. It's the church who suffers. Could this not be the case in our nation? (laughs) I mean, it's foolish to even ask the question. Where are the prophets? You know, where are the pulpits that are filled with the Holy Spirit? Where are they? They're lacking. They're lacking. And and you, you, you don't even wonder anymore whether God has cut off his, his vision for the people. Verse 7, the seers will be ashamed and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. On the other hand, okay, so it switches here in verse 8. This is Micah speaking. On the other hand, I am filled with power. And what is that power? What's the power? What's the power he's filled with? The what? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of Yahweh. He has power because he's filled with the Spirit. That's exactly what the false prophets are lacking, is the Holy Spirit. God has cut them off from that. But Micah here has the Spirit of God, and with justice and courage, he makes known to Jacob his what? Rebellious acts. 
even to Israel, his sin. Right? So here's Micah. He's filled with the Spirit. And what does that lead to? That doesn't lead to, uh, you know, peace, peace. All is well. You're doing fine. God doesn't care what you do with your bodies. God doesn't care what you think. God doesn't care if, if you're mean to your neighbor. Right? Peace. God has declared peace and grace and, and ease, especially after Jesus came. Right? Peace, 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 peace. Grace, 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 grace. And yet here, just like John the Baptist, just like Jesus, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing Jesus preached about was what? Repent. First thing John the Baptist preached about was repentance. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repent. But we hate to hear messages like that. We hate to hear repent, repent, repent. Right? Because we're thera therapy junkies. We're therapy junkies. And we've been told the lie that, that repentance is not sweet and fruitful and good and pleasant. We, we've been told that hearing flattering words and lies about what you are is, is, will build you up. That's a lie of the devil, right? It's a lie of the devil. To be humbled in the presence of God is exaltation, right? To be humbled in the presence of the Lord is exaltation. And so, so here's Micah uh, speaking, um, speaking about the rebellion of this. And do you think this got him in trouble? You think he had an ease during his days? <laughs> do you think it was, it was pleasant for him? Well, um, turn, to, turn to Jeremiah 26. Jeremiah 26 is smack dab in the middle of, of a plot to, to kill Jeremiah and his trial. And at Jeremiah's trial, they bring forward a witness who makes mention of something. Right? I think it's Jeremiah 26, 26, 17... Then some of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, okay, so these elders get up, they're witnesses, and they say, Micah of Moresheth, remember him? He prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and he spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, thus the Lord of hosts has said, and it's the last part of our, verse, our verses in Micah 3, Zion will be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem will become ruins, and the mountains of the house of the high places uh, the high places of a forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and treat the favor of the Lord, and the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune which he had pronounced against them? But we are committing a great evil against ourselves. Right? So, I just think that's fascinating that here at Jeremiah's trial, this example of Micah saying these hard things and him not being killed is one of the defenses for Jeremiah, right? But it's lore, it's history. They remember this. The elders remember 
Micah of Morisha and this prophecy against them, right? And it may not, I mean, honestly, when it, when it says, did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord and the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune, well, God hadn't changed his mind about the misfortune. They may think at this point that he did, but they're going to be dragged off the land and the land's going to have its Sabbaths, right? So his prophecy is fulfilled. And so, praise God for the prophets, right? Praise God for a people he warns. Praise God for for the men he raises up that warn the people to flee from the judgment to come, right? Praise God for that. Don't, um, Don't... think that that's a curse in your life that there are people whether it's a pastor or an elder or a son or a daughter or whoever it may be who are warning you that's a gift from the God that is a gift from the Lord and it is meant for your building up now Verse 9, now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor abhor what? Justice and twist everything that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. What is justice? There's a big question. I'm asking for answers. What is justice? Anybody have a... I mean, we hear the word all the time, right? Social justice. Justice. We're hearing this word all the time, but maybe we don't have a definition of it in our heads. Yeah, giving, giving somebody their due. Right? And so a just system rewards those appropriate to their sins or their good works. Right? Now, what... They didn't get justice. So the, the prophets, the priests, the rulers of Israel didn't get justice. In fact, they hated justice. They twisted everything. They used bloodshed and violence to get their way. And um, that got me thinking about what justice is. Justice requires knowing God's word and his character, right? His justice is a part of his character. And his character is written in his word. And so to know what is our due, we have to know God, his character, and his word, which is his character worked out and applied for us, right? So, that, so justice is, requires knowing his character. Social justice, as we hear of it today, has a different standard. It's not God's character or God's word. It's really social justice is whoever uh, is the opinions of whoever has the most followers. Whoever has the most clout, right? And their opinion carries, carries weight. And they get to call the shots on what is due to each person. What is due to, to bad behavior, what is due to good behavior. And so, social justice is justice 
in terms of the distribution of wealth, the distribution of opportunities, the distribution of privileges within a society. Um, redistribution of wealth is what people think is mankind's due today. That's what's due. That's justice. Equality across the board. Absolute equality. Equality of distribution. Equality of, of economics. That's what people believe is social justice. But the Bible comes into this and, and you start thinking about the concept of justice and what is due to man. Hellfire is due to man. Condemnation is what, what is due to every man. And it's only by the mercy of God and it's only by the justice that Jesus became in the cross that any of us are saved, right? He became the just and the justifier. His justice, that's justice. And so, now there are applications of justice, and we'll get to this later in Micah, right? That the Micah 6-8, that passage that we all have memorized because we sang that uh, Maranatha song back in the day. Um, but justice has application. Should we care about the poor? Right? We were poor and God cared about us and God, God, God rescued us. But that's not the concept of we need to make sure that everybody's equal and, and equal distribution and forget about work and forget about um, what's due to a man because, of he, because he works. Uh, no. Um, but we do... One of the things that the rulers of this people was doing that was unrighteous and unjust was they were afflicting the poor. Right? So there are applications that come from the idea of God's justice. We care, we should care about the poor because God is the kind of God who cared about weak, miserable uh, children who were not able to save themselves. And he provided for us. Right? So there, we'll... I just wanted to touch on this because justice keeps coming up in this book. We'll get into it more uh, later in the book, but just be thinking about this. The, the Webster 1828 says, justice is the virtue which, which consists in giving to everyone what is his due. And if you have an unforgiving heart and a huge you have a huge dose of resentment that motivates what you do every day and a dangerous, fluid standard for what is right and what is wrong, well, then you become a social justice warrior and you care nothing about biblical justice, right? You're just trying to work out your resentments. And those will nev you'll never be satisfied, right? You'll never be satisfied because the heart is a factory of resentment. It's a factory of resentment to uh, vamp off of uh, Calvin's statement about the heart being an idol factory. It's a resentment factory as well. All right, so they build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with violent injustice. Her leaders pronounce, listen to verse 11, her leaders pronounce a judgment for what? Her priests instruct for what? 
and her prophets divine for bribe, price, money. Right? It's all about money. This is why avarice is at the, the, the bottom of this. And, and they're doing all this. This is the scandalous part of this. They're doing this. They're pronouncing a judgment, right? I'll give you a good ruling. I'm a judge. I'll give you a good ruling if you just pay the price, right? This is how much a, a not guilty charge is in my court. And God, God abominates that because it's complete injustice. It, it overturns nations, right, when... when uh, Judgments are pronounced for a bribe. Her priests won't give instruction, right? They may be experts in the law, but they won't dole out what they know and what, what, uh, what is written in the law unless they get money for it. In other words, they're on the conference circuit. They're on the conference circuit of Israel and Judah, and they won't, they, they copyright all their books. Right? They don't want to serve the church and, and uh, they're like the musicians who write worship music and will not allow churches to use them unless they buy one of those CCLI licenses, which is scandalous. Right? They will not teach unless they're paid. And then her prophets, oh, divining for money, right? The prophets, they'll get paid and they... They're essentially, they become what? They become palm readers, right? They're just making stuff up if they get the right price. You know, over on Main Street and Duncan, you can go get your palm read. And um, what, it's 20 bucks. 20 bucks and you can, you can get a prophecy from a, uh, a prophet, a false prophet. A false prophet from a false False prophecy from a false prophet, right? But that's what these, that's what God's prophets, at least by name only, in Israel are doing at this time, in Judah, right? They're only divining for money. And then this is the, the terrible part. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful that, that I can fill you with all the knowledge now that I've been paid, now that Ravi's been, been paid, he can fill you with all kinds of knowledge, that special Gnostic sort of knowledge that only he had. Right? Loosely connected to the Word of God. And yet they, 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 think, they think these false prophets... These, these conference circuit speakers, these Christian celebrities think that their ministry is proof that God is among them. That God is in the midst of His church. And it's the very opposite. It's the very opposite. And they don't think calamity will come upon us. In fact, they're the sort of Christian leaders who if a pastor says, repent, if a pastor says, we should be praying for God's mercy because he's going to judge this land. And when God judges this land, it's going to be much worse than it is now. And these false prophets will say to him, look, you're, you're being ridiculous. God is a God of love. God is a God of kindness. God gives good gifts to his children. 
And they're so thoughtless that they can't realize that God's discipline is good for His people. Right? God's discipline is good for His people. Do you want a father who doesn't discipline you? No. No. Hebrews chapter 12. And so, while they're, I mean, while they're just shamelessly gaining this money for doing their work, the rulers, the priests, the prophets, they're boasting that the Lord is not against them, that the Lord is their friend. And then verse 12 is just like, bam. Because of this, Jerusalem is going to be wiped off the map. Gone. The temple is going to become a forest. I mean, that would be, those would be scandalous words to Judahites. It would be unfathomable that this thing they've boasted in, that's the center of everything God has commanded them to do, that God would say, nah, gone. Gone. Because you have stopped living for me. You, have, you love money, and you cannot serve both me and and money. You cannot do it. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple will become high places of a forest. Calamity comes to God's people for a purpose, right? Now, pulling back from this a bit, he will judge, he judges nations, right? He judges nations, and his people are always caught up in his judgments of nations, right? He doesn't make a clean separation between those who are his and those who are not. He judges them. For one, it is a pure judgment. For the other, it's discipline. And we make a distinction between those two. Calamity comes to God's people for a purpose, right? Calamity comes on them for a purpose, and what are the purposes? The purposes are to make them depend upon him, to make them find their only good in him, right? To wean them from this world, right? To, to discipline them for their love of money, which we all struggle with. Disciplines us, and those calamities come, and those are sweet calamities to God's true children because they're breaking us of our sins and calling us to repent. But for those priests and leaders and rulers who do this without any shame and profit off, off faking it, God's judgment will be fierce. It will be fierce. He's a consuming fire. And Jerusalem, which, you know, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, Jerusalem, which they thought could never fall, will fall. It is going to fall. It is coming. And it's been announced by Micah. And it becomes a reality later. So, a number of applications come out of this piece. One, reflect on your, your love of money, right? Reflect on prayer, and the fact that when, when we go headlong into sin, God, God hinders our prayers. That should scare you. Think about that for a while. Meditate on that this week. That God can, God can stop listening to your prayers when you're not living in a way that honors Him. Okay? And then 
this calamity, this calamity that comes upon those who, those nations that turn away. How, how, how long, how long before our nation knows even more calamity than it's already known? Because God is disciplining this nation and disciplining his church. Well, let's pray to him. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise your name. We thank you for the prophets and their warnings. We thank you that they still warn us, that they are still still warning us, and that all Scripture is inspired by you and is, is meant for our correction. Even what Micah said thousands of years ago. Thank you for the timeliness that your word always is. Thank you that you have seen, uh, you have blessed us this evening to be warned again. And Lord, I pray that we would hear your word, that we would reflect upon it, that we would put it into practice, and that you would build our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.